So I have what I like to call airplane disease, where the where you ride on a plane and they recirculate all that air, and you just get everything everybody has. I'm living with that right now. Every time you see me do that, just think I'm swallowing snot. Just remember, it's my the breakfast of champions right there. It's very disgusting. And I'm trying to make my way through this day. So you don't get another video. Although someone in the back goes, man, that guy in that video, way better than the guy today. (laughs) Because I have to stop sometimes and go and swallow. And he goes, yeah, the guy in the video, none of that. He was like just perfect. He was, yeah, go. If you weren't here last week, sorry. You can watch it online, but it won't make as much sense with the joke, so sorry. Uh, If you are newer to Element, uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There's sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this, and they cover the series we're in right now called Legends of the Fall. Inside, you'll get a little bit more information about what we're talking about, as well as some questions to go a little bit deeper, if you'd like to grab that and do that. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. You can click on Live and Uversion. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get the sermon notes, questions, announcements, verses, all that goes along with today's message. Uh, my name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. I want you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. And I had such a hard time reading this last service. I don't know why. But <laughs> it says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who are sent and who are going into the entire world, who are scattered to spread the goodness and the grace of who you are, that we would understand who you are first and foremost in our lives and be able to live that out so people would see the greatness of the God that we love and worship and serve. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is our third week of our series called Legends of the Fall. Again, hence the decor looks like this. If you were here for our last series, it was all bright and clouds, and it was all sunshiny days. What's it like a Beatles? No, that's like a Partridge Family song. Sunshiny day. Brady Bunch. The Brady, is that when his voice changed? It's the only song I know for the Brady Bunch. Okay. Anyway, so we uh, so it's all like dark and gloomy because we've switched from the coloring book All Stars, which is all about the heroes in the Bible, to the bad guys. So it's kind of dark and it's and it's kind of gloomy. Uh, these would be the things that we're going to look at that we would label as evil or bad or not good. The things that we would say, "Oh, I would never do that," or if we did it, we say, "I would never do that again." <laughs> that that kind of thing. And hopefully, by the time that we're done, we'll realize that the good guys aren't necessarily so good, except for Jesus, obviously, and the bad guys sometimes aren't actually. So so bad because they're just like us and we're lost and broken just like them. So today we're going to look at this uh, story about the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel doesn't focus on one person. It focuses on an event and it shows how a whole group of people did something directly opposed with what God called them to do and who God called them to be, but how God in the end ultimately still shows grace. Now when I read the story of of the Tower of Babel, I personally don't understand it uh, because I can't get people together to build anything with me. I get frustrated straight and I'm like, just get out of the way and I'll do it. That, that's how I operate. I should have had my friend Pete, who's a contractor, get up and tell you about how to build things because he gets people from all different walks of life to build houses. He's actually going to uh, build the building for us. Don't tell him how to do it better. He knows what he's doing. Leave him alone, right? But, but he can get a lot of people together to build. And I thought maybe he should talk about this. Because I'm telling you, my wife and I, we can't really move furniture together without Fadi, much less build furniture together. <laughs> right? So 
The story is an amazing one. And when, when you think about building something, there's really only two types of people, right? There, there's one type, and they get the instructions, they lay all the pieces out, they look at everything, they make sure everything's there, and they follow everything exactly how it's supposed to be. The chairman of your church board, John Warren, he is like that. He will lay everything out, read it, do exactly what he's supposed to do. You should be happy you have a chairman of your board like him and not like me. Because I'm the second type of person who I look at the picture on the box, and I think, yeah, I can do that. I pull all the stuff out, and I'm like, oh, I got screws, and, I, and it kind of, it, it, it doesn't work. And then I just get mad, like, oh, how dare they give me the wrong pieces, like, like, it's, like it's their fault. I mean, I'm, I'm actually thinking about my premarital counseling should involve, like, having a couple go to Ikea or Walmart or Home Depot and buy, like, a dresser. And we're going to just make them put it together together, right? And if they still like each other when they're done, we'll make them move it. And I'll just sit there and be like, oh, no, maybe that wasn't right. Maybe over here. Sorry. I don't know who that resembled. I'm sorry. So anyway. I mean, I'll test marriage like nothing else right there. My wife and I, when we first got married, the first couple of years, we moved like four times. I mean, that, that will test it right there. I mean, I can talk about my issues all day. So open to Genesis chapter 11. <laughs> we, will, we will go there. We'll start with the Tower of Babel. Um, I'll give you some background as you're turning there. Uh, Genesis 10.32 says this, These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. So when you get to chapter 11, this comes after the flood and Noah's descendants are supposed to spread out over the earth and repopulate the entire earth. But how do they do that? How, what brings that about? Well, that's what Genesis 11 is about. And the Tower of Babel is more than a bunch of human beings doing something wrong and God teaching them them a lesson. The Tower of Babel goes back so far to what you see in almost everybody in the book of Genesis, that they all think they know how to do their lives better than God and how God calls them to live. They all think we know the good better than God does. I mean, back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve think they knew the good better than God did for their life, and it led to sin. The same thing happens here. And the Tower of Babel becomes this gateway passage to get you from the family of Noah to this guy named Abraham. It is a self-contained story, which is very unique for the Old Testament. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, The background of this is that man starts in glorious relationship with God, and then he sins, like I said, and does what he thinks is right for his life rather than what God says is right for his life, and he kind of runs away from God. And from there, it just goes from bad to worse. I mean, God makes man to have relationship with him. In the garden, God says, you are free to do anything you want. Just don't disobey me, because following me, that's life. Following me is life. And when you run away from that separation, that is death, that is, that is sin. And what does man do? Almost immediately he seeks death and separation and disobeys God. And so what happens is man breaks relationship with God, he leaves God's presence, and he goes east. You will see that people go further and further east throughout the book of Genesis. That's representative of the direction of the fall. This will go to Cain and Abel, where Cain kills his brother Abel. And it spirals down to the point where mankind is so evil, causing such grievous sins that God is grieved in his heart. And the Hebrew wording there means that he had uncontrollable sobbing in his heart, because he had made man, so he floods the earth at Noah. Now this then comes about after that, and, and Babel is, right before this, God says in Genesis eight twenty one that even though man's intentions, they are always evil, God won't destroy the earth again. But for man, nothing's really changed. We're still the same. Our hearts still long for the things that are opposite what God says to do, but God has now promised he will not destroy us. And what you see is that God cares for all peoples on the earth, all nations, all tribes, everybody. And that is very unique to Christianity because God is not only concerned about America. God is not only concerned about 
Israel. God is concerned about the entire world, all people. Most people in religion today will have God or goddesses that only care about them. The God of the Bible is concerned for all people. That's kind of what the story is going towards. Now, when Noah's family gets off the ark, they have one language. Their language is unified. They all speak the same way. Our language, it's, it's beautiful. It is complex because we're image bearers of God. We get to talk about our feelings, our hopes, our futures. We get to crack jokes with one another. Language communication, it's very important to God. The Bible is called the Word of God. Before Jesus becomes incarnated in flesh, he is known as the Word. He's the means by which God reveals himself and speaks to us. In the New Testament, Paul says in Romans 10.17, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. Romans 10.14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? This is the whole idea of why we gather together on Sunday mornings like this, that we gather together corporately as a group of people who worship Jesus and we want to hear the word of God. We hear God speak to us throughout the scriptures. And language makes us able to connect to one another. But what you see by the end of the Tower of Babel is that language is also what will separate people. People today are separated by language. And even when we sometimes speak the same words, we still speak different languages. Get married, you'll know what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, you know, sometimes you think, we speak the same way, why can't we resolve these differences? Because we're made just a little bit differently. Now, in the Tower of Babel's day, everyone had the same language. So we're going to read this, and then we'll talk about it. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and butamen for mortar. What that literally means is they used bricks instead of stone and butamen instead of mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be, that means so that we don't be, dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord disperse them over the face of all the earth. So in those few verses, you get two perspectives. You get a human perspective and God's perspective. So first, we'll talk about the human perspective. In the human perspective, you get a good indication of what's going on in their lives because it says people migrated from the east. The word migrated is the word moved. It's kind of like this aimless wandering. It's used of Abraham when he wanders in the land of Canaan. It's used of the Israelites when they're in the desert for 40 years. It can be used today of probably like any kid after he graduates high school, before, during, or after college, like this aimless Maybe not. Okay, whatever. Uh, And it's always eastward. Again, eastward is the direction that Adam and Eve goes after the fall. Uh, East is the direction of separation. East is the direction of further and further away from God. That's what it represents. East is Babylon. Further east, you will get Sodom and Gomorrah. This is why we live on the west coast. What? Right? You go east, what do you get? Bakersfield. Right? You go further east, what do you get? Iowa. Yeah, you don't want to go there. I've been there. Corey Woods, right? You go further east, what do you get? New Jersey! 
What? Jersey Shore? No, right? We're on the West Coast. That's why we stay here. That's good. You go further, every time you go further east, you get like country band, country music bands and boy bands. You just stay, stay west. You'll be okay. So, this is what it talks about. It says it starts with humanity. This is where it starts. And humanity is wandering in the direction of separation from God. So that's where it's starting. And they come upon this plain, this open space. And they make this plan to build a city that reaches into the heavens. Why? So they won't be scattered. That's why. They don't want to be scattered. They, they think being scattered is the worst thing that can happen to them, so they want to stay together. That, that's the best. The problem is, is that God has told them to scatter at least three times now. Disperse over the face of the earth. Genesis 1.28, before the fall, God says, be fruitful and fill the earth. That is before the fall, before sin enters the world. So this, this scattering is not the result of sin. It's God's plan. God's plan. You see, after the flood, Genesis 9-1, Genesis 9-7, God blesses them and says, fill the earth, scatter, go out. Babel almost seems like a snag in God's plan because humanity wants to hunker down, do life by bomb shelter, bring everybody in just like us. Let's hang out with them and let everybody else burn when the bombs fall. That's that's what they kind of want. But you will see that nothing thwarts God's plan because God is always sovereign. God is always in control and God will use their sin to bring about his good like he always does. Now, why? Why do they decide not to scatter? Anybody? Fear. Because they're just like us. They're just like us. Because we, I mean, think about this. You have a house for sale in your neighborhood. What do you think? Oh, dear God, please let it be someone like us. Right? (laughs) You don't want some weirdo moving in down the street with like a panel van and... I know some of you guys are like, I gotta sell my panel van. No, so, you know, I mean, it's like, we want people in our neighborhoods just like us. Like, oh my goodness, we have fear. Who's, who's gonna move in there? What are we gonna do with this, right? Or, or how about, um, uh, your political system? You want people just like you in your own, like, everybody, if they just believe the way I do, the country would be better. We all think that, and we're all just a bunch of weirdos. But we do this also in our churches. Oh, we want people in our churches just like us, who think exactly the way that I do, the exact kind of theology that I do. Now, it is true, if y'all had mine, you'd all be better off. <laughs> but but this, is, this is what's happening here. Because of the fall, they feel disconnected from God, creation, and each other. You know why? Because they are. They are. They're separated. And man's inclination of his heart is evil, and he doesn't trust God. And so they say, we're going to hunker down together. We're not going to do what God says. And they say, let's make some bricks. They use bricks instead of stone. People used to use stone, but now they need to use bricks. Why? Because bricks are a human invention. We think everyone's primitive like a bunch of rednecks until us. That's very arrogant. Man has always been very industrious. They take resources and they begin to build a city from nothing. Bricks are efficient. You can build bricks from a whole lot of different materials. Bricks is something they start to do in the face of feeling separated, exposed, and vulnerable. They take bricks and they're going to make themselves three things when they start using these bricks. They're going to make themselves strong. So they're going to get strength. They want to build a tower. The tower just isn't a monument to themselves. The tower is a sign of defense and protection. This is seen throughout the Old Testament. They're trying to feel safe, which also leads to their security. The bricks are going to give them security. They say this, so that we may make a name for ourselves. It's a reputation that's going to protect them. So someone comes along, they're going to see this tower in the city and be like, oh, we've heard about these guys. We're not going to go against them. We'll just kind of go around that city, which also gives them significance. Significance. They, they see being together as what gives them a name. And people do this today. It's like, oh, what school did you go to? I went to Yale, Harvard, Berkeley. You know, I went to, I went to Hancock. You know, I mean, 
I know, it doesn't have the same weight. I get it, right? Um, you know, uh, people are like, oh, I, I'm from, uh, so I'm on the East Coast, okay, this, the last couple weeks. And I go into a place, and a couple places, they, they, they card me, they, I have to hold my license for a reason. And, <laughs> and I go in, and they, and they look at it, and if you've ever seen my driver's license, I look like this. That's my picture, okay? <laughs> they let me take it, I couldn't believe it, but they're, it's never gotten me out of a ticket, by the way. But everybody sees it over there, they think it's great, and they go, oh, you're from California. And I'm like, yes. I'm from California, and and it kind of makes you feel good. It's not like it's not like again, like hey, I'm from Iowa, right? <laughs> I'm from California, and you, and you got this, and you got this, like hey, and we kind of feel like that. Where you're, oh, I'm from here, and we kind of build. This is kind of what they're doing. Oh, I'm from Babel. This is the best place in the world. Have you seen Babel? They refuse to see how dispersing over the face of the earth and actually following what God says could bring them any type of significance. What's interesting is when you get to the next chapter, you'll see a guy named Abraham, and what does God do with Abraham? God says Abraham go, Abraham goes, leaves everything behind. And what happens? God makes Abraham's name great. Because why? Because Abraham followed God and God brought significance. In Babel, the plan, God's plan to them doesn't make any sense. Their own plan of building a city makes a whole lot of sense. They say, let's settle down, we'll be safe. For us, what do we do when we feel exposed, lost, or unsafe? We will start to build just like them, metaphorical towers. We find ways to provide strength and security and significance for our own lives apart from God doing our own thing in our own resources and strength. We will build towers out of our careers. Oh, have you, this is my job title. This is who I manage. This is how much money I make. Or our family. Oh, these are my kids. And that's, you know, my husband or wife. And this is how well my kids are behaved or how not well my kids are behaved. And, and our stuff. This is my home. This is where I live. This is the car I drive. This is the phone I use. Oh, you got a flip phone? Oh, you're so like 10 years ago. You know, this is my phone. These are my clothes that I wear. We use all of our resources to make ourselves feel strong and secure like we're better than everybody else. Even our relationships, even online relationships do this. Like, how many Facebook friends do you have or Twitter, Instagram followers? And how many people liked your photo and made comments about it? How many people were jealous that you were doing something and they didn't get to go do it? It all makes us feel secure. Now, none of those things in and of themselves are bad to begin with. I mean, you should have a job. We want you to have a job. That's a good thing, okay? We'd love for you to be in a relationship with other people. We want you in a gospel community. We would love for you one day to own a home. I mean, even the Tower of Babel in and of itself was not bad. The tower itself wasn't bad. I mean, later you'll see God tell Israel, hey, you know, build a town and put a tower in the middle of it. It's the foundation that they're running on. The foundation they're running on is fear. It is sin. All of our personal towers are built out of sin and fear. I mean, God's plan is a city sh- that a city should be full of density and diversity. Lots of people, lots of different ethnic groups, uh, different colors, different people. That's like heaven. This city is going to be density, but no diversity. They build a wall to keep the bad guys out. Who's the bad guys? Anybody not like us. I live in a gated community. I keep all the riffraff out, you know. The riffraff can still buy a house in your gated community, by the way. Just, there you go. Anyway, you know, and, and then, and, and what happened is, is their tower starts to become a wall, keeps everybody outside. This again happens in churches. It, it happens in small groups and gospel communities where everybody gets together and nobody wants to scatter and spread God's name. You know, sometimes people say, oh, our group is too full. You know, we really don't want to invite anybody else in because there's too many. Or, or, or if we invited more people in, it would change our, our group dynamic. Well, maybe your group dynamic needs to change if that's your attitude. You know, I, many times God will make his people scatter. I have seen God step in and split apart gospel communities that refuse to scatter. I mean, we're, we're, we're too afraid to do it sometimes, but God's like, oh, I'm not afraid, and steps in and just kind of takes care of it. 
You'll see this throughout the scriptures. You got, you got Daniel. I mean, in the book of Daniel, what does God do? He makes his people scatter. You look at Jonah, like Jonah in the story of the whale or the big fish, right? What, Jonah doesn't want to go where God tells him to go. What does God do? He makes him go. Has a fish swallow him and puke him up on a beach. I'll make you go. Uh, I mean, God does it. You got judges and exodus and God continually moving his people in places. You got war and famine and human sin. And what does God do? He uses all of it to bring about his plan, to keep sending his people. God wants his people to be a going people. That you go into your jobs and into your schools and into your homes and into your neighborhoods and you welcome people into God's family. The Babylonians, they don't want to scatter. They just want to hang out with all their friends. And hanging out with your friends is not a bad thing. Hang out with your friends. You should do that. You should do that. The biblical community is also scattering and going into to spread God's name. When we live in fear, we wall off what God wants to say to us and what God wants to do through us. Okay? Human perspective. Now let's look at at God's perspective where it starts in verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. Now, God has to come down and see what they're doing. Now, it's not that God doesn't know. It's, it, this is kind of like when um, Adam and Eve sin and fall, and God walks in the garden in the cool of the day, and he says, Hey, Adam, where are you? It's not that God doesn't know where Adam is. Or when Cain kills Abel, and God shows up and he says, Cain, where's your brother Abel? It's not that God doesn't know where Abel is. This is the thing, the perspective of heaven versus the perspective of the things of earth. The men think that they are building a tower to the heavens, but it doesn't reach that high. This is meant to be comical and funny. It's not like God is walking around in his living room going, Oh my goodness, who put this tower in my living room? And like, fee, five, four, from, I must smash it with my thumb. Right? That, that's not what this is. It, that, it's, it's supposed to be this thing where God's a little bit, you know, making fun. Like, what are these knuckleheads doing now? Oh, my goodness. It's like, it's like oh, your space needle is so big. Wow. Oh, your Empire State Building? Oh, yeah, that, that's really cool. Dubai Tower? Yeah, I saw Mission Impossible 4. Wow, wow. It's, it's like, oh, have you seen all of our big deals? And God's like, yeah, that's special. You know, that's, that, that, that's kind of what it's, what it's like. I mean, the whole idea is that God's been over. He's like, I'm been over and I can't even see it. Where is it? I guess I better go down there. This is like our achievements. We're always looking at God going, God, look at my big deal. Look at all that I've done. Look at all these things. God's like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Okay, good. You know, that, that, that's kind of, kind of the thing. You know, it's like bricklayers and architects and engineers. We build these big buildings and God's like, yeah, your Legos are nice. Here's an earthquake. <laughs> you know, it's, it's supposed to be funny. Okay, so then you get to this. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And it seems like a really odd statement. People get really confused by it. Like, what, what's God saying here about mankind? Now, there's only one other place in the Bible that exact phraseology is used. It is in the book of Job. It's after God reveals himself to Job, after Job was being a total whiner. God, why, 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 why? And God finally shows up to Job. And he shows him all these things and says, Job, so where were you when I created everything? And Job is like, yeah, you're right, I wasn't there. And so he gets a little bit of humility. And in Job 42.2, Job says to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose can be thwarted. That's the exact same wording that's used. And so you start to see what's going on here. So you get, again, the human perspective and God's perspective. From the human perspective, they're saying, hey, we're powerful. You know, if we get together and we all get along, we'll be rich. We'll see our enemies coming and we will squish them. And God's response to that is, you're right. You're right. But you're evil. But you're evil. If you have this concentration of power, you will use it for evil. Unmatched power in the hands of sinners is always great evil. 
You know, God says, if this plan works, they're going to rule the earth and commit atrocious crimes and genocide and slavery and murder to those not like them in their city. And what you look at throughout the course of history, this has always happened. It has always happened. No matter what type of governmental system is in place, this has always happened. Every nation has committed atrocious crimes against others. I mean, even today, we, we, we still do this. We have this idea, well, people just agreed with me and, and did the things I said they should do. Everything should be okay. People in academia today, the elite, are like, hey, you should let us run the country. Just give it everything to our hands and we'll take care of it. You know what that leads to? Genocide and murder. You know, you have every walk of life and every view, like, like, you look at someone who's like a socialist today, right? They'll be like, oh, oh, everybody needs to be equal. Well, all that does is make a whole lot of people poor and a lot of people rich on the top and nobody really in the middle. And it leads to great genocide and murder. Communism. Saying, Let's everybody have everything in common. What does it lead to? Genocide and murder. And even capitalism can do it as well. It can lead to genocide and murder. God isn't meaning that mankind can stand against him. He's saying that man left unified to his own devices will be able to find no end to the depth of sin and depravity that he is going to be able to commit. See, the truth is that God is not going to be mean by destroying this tower. He is going to be loving all people because God loves those that we don't. And God cares about those that we don't. We become a very exclusive people. We just meander that way. And yet God is a God with his arms open wide saying, I want you to go out. And I want you to welcome people into my family and tell them who I am and how I love them. God doesn't let them build this city on a foundation of fear, which will lead to an ultimate retreat from God's call. I mean, and, and it's, it's not that, that, this is not that the city that God calls them to build. And what you also see is God doesn't become anti-tower. God doesn't become anti-brick. God doesn't make a rule against cities or bricks like, oh, you messed up with those bricks, therefore, no more bricks. I mean, that's not what he does, but he does take it really seriously. The problem, again, goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Since sin entered the world, everyone is trying to deal with the sin problem in different ways. And we all think we know better than everybody else how to do it. You look at Eve. It first starts with feminism. She tries to rule over Adam. It doesn't work. You get to a guy named Lemek in Genesis 4, and you see chauvinism. He tries to rule, and it doesn't work. Uh, Lemek will kill people who try to bully him, and, and it doesn't work. You look at uh, family with Adam and Eve, and they have Cain. Oh, we got a kid. This kid's going to solve all the problems in the world. Yay, Cain. What does Cain do? Kill his brother. It doesn't work. You can't solve it through family. In Genesis 6, Noah is made righteous. His kid still turns out evil because the problem is in our hearts. It's in our hearts. We keep searching for the answer within ourselves and within our own hearts. We keep thinking man is the answer. Like we're going to figure it out. But the answer is not in us. The answer is in Jesus. You get to Genesis chapter 11. In Babylon, they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to fix this sin problem and what's wrong through community. And community is a great word. There is nothing wrong with community. But when you only gather and you don't invite, you don't go out, you become Babylon. And it becomes evil. Putting sinners together doesn't eradicate sin. You know what it does? It shows how weird we are. (laughs) That's, That's what it does. It shows how hard it is to get along with one another because of sin that stands between us. I mean, if you've ever been like to a bunch of churches trying to find a church that fits for you, you're never going to find a perfect church because you're in it. You're welcome. <laughs> and I'm in it. Verse 7, okay? So God says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. See, scattering wasn't punishment. This is a gift from God. You can trust me. I'm going to make this happen. You're going to be very uncomfortable. You're not going to know what's going on, but you can still trust me. 
I mean, today, when we trust and live in God's mission and calling, that is great freedom. That's what he tends for his people to live in. We need to scatter. We become one community in Jesus under his lordship, but we live on mission by how we go out and how we live the gospel among everybody we come into conflict with and into contact with. Now, when the sin problem hits anywhere in the book of Genesis, especially like in Babylon, what happens? God comes down. Like he sees that God comes down, he's going to do something about it. Later, eventually, throughout, you know, you go throughout the entire Old Testament, you get to the beginning of the New Testament, and who comes down again? God comes down in the person of Jesus Christ to solve the sin problem for all of us. And you'll see when you get to Acts chapter 2 in this birth of this thing called the church, you'll see Peter get up. And Peter will talk about the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He'll start to point everything to Jesus. He will exalt to make Jesus' name great. He will preach Jesus. He doesn't preach Jerusalem. He doesn't preach Israel. He doesn't preach his own type of patriotism. He preaches Jesus. And everyone at that point hears Peter in their own native tongue. And God is basically saying, if you follow me, you can stop living in fear and become unified in Jesus. The barriers that separate people from other people and people from God are now discarded. They're taken care of in Christ's work. They can all be discarded in the church. Not because of our similarities, not because we're all the same, but because we love and we serve the same God. We serve Jesus. And when Jesus unifies them, what does he do to the people in that early church? Sends them. Sends them. You're unified in me, now go. Now go. And he sends them out. And you get this picture of the great city of God in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. And it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All nations, all peoples. In Revelation 21, verses 23 to 26, you're told about the city that God himself builds. And it says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, but the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb, and by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no more night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. See, in heaven you got this picture of a city, and there's a wall, but there's a gate, and the gate is never closed. Why? Because that city is not built on fear. It is not built on fear or sin. And the constant light of God's grace fills that city. The nations bring their glories into it. God's plan is huge. It is so much bigger than our own little plans that we have in our own minds. Scattering, it is not punishment. It's redemptive story. It's redemptive rescue. It's what God always does. You get to Genesis 12 right after this, and God says to a guy named Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Why? To be a blessing. It's not me, I'm blessing you, for Abraham to walk around and go, I'm blessed by God, I'm blessed, I'm a blessed person, I'm so blessed, if you see me, I'm blessed. It's you are blessed so that you would extend that to other people, you would go out. Get to a guy named King David who we'll start to look at next week, and God says, you know, David, your throne's going to never end. Why? Because it's going to lead to Jesus. Why? Because it goes out further and further and further. We see eventually every knee will bow to Jesus, every tongue will confess Jesus tells his disciples, go, go out, make disciples of all nations. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Everyone hears the words of God in their own native language, and they are sent. It is always about being sent. It's about going, the mission of God. In Babel, they are united in one language against God's plan. At Pentecost, you get the understanding that we can only become united through 
God's plan. And even then when we're united in that, we are still sent. The sending never stops. The sending is always there. God's not pulling a power play at Babel, though he could because he's way more powerful. God is actually bringing grace. It says, the Lord scattered uh, them from, from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. God succeeds because God always succeeds. And I don't know if you can imagine what this is like. Like, ladies, imagine you're sitting around with all your girlfriends, and you're talking, and one starts talking like French, and one starts talking Chinese, and one starts talking Portuguese. You're like, ah, I can't understand you. I mean, guys, you know what this is like if you have a girlfriend or you're married? You're like, yeah, I can never understand them anyway. Anyway. Move furniture together, you'll understand what I'm talking about. You know? and, 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 and they can't come back to this common language and start talking together. They, 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 can't, they can't get it. And so it says, that is why it's called Babel. And they all start to scatter. And they all start to scatter. Now, the question becomes, at Babel, were they, only think, were they thinking about the past, present, or the future? The past. That's all they're thinking about, is the past. See, they only thought about their own generation, not what would happen after them, not what would happen when that city got full. The great sin of Babylon, they only think about themselves and they live in sin and fear. Their plan is so impoverished because of their fear. They cannot even see past it. When you look at it and you see that God thinks about everyone, everyone, and God intends for the gospel to go out. God thinks about the gospel past, present, and future. I mean, a lot of churches today kind of do this. They'll get stuck in what's called gospel past. And they're always talking about, oh, this is where we were, and this is what we did. And if we can go just back, you know, 50 years, oh, it would look like this. It's so wonderful there. Other churches, they talk about gospel future, right? And it's always like, oh, let's study the book of Revelation for the next 15 years. And always talking about heaven and these things over here. If you look at the majority of Scripture, you know what God talks about? Gospel present. Here and now. How is the gospel lived out in our lives today? How does it make a difference now? How? We understand that Jesus came to save us, not just in the future, not just from our past, but today and every single day that we live. We are meant to be a going and living people. And sometimes we'll say, God, I want this. And God says, I know that's what you think that you want, but I know what you really need. And I'm going to give you what you really, really need. The point is that God's people are meant to be primarily missional. And a church should not be defined about the number of people you can get in one room at one time, but by the number of people who go out and live their lives on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God told his people to scatter, to fill the earth. At Babel, they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to huddle up. We're going to stay all together with people just like us. It is one of the reasons why at Element we do not call our community groups, small groups, we call them gospel communities, because we want them centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Small groups don't need to scatter. Small groups get to stay together with just their friends. When you're centered around the gospel, you have a biblical mandate to scatter, to go, to be open, to be welcoming. And many times, as I said, God will make people scatter when they don't want to. We must become a people who trust our security and our name and our strength into God's good hands. Because that is the only way that we will ever live in the true freedom that God calls us to live in. It's the only way that we will ever live the life that God calls us to live. By trusting Him and going. I mean, I mean, God loves you just like you are. He saves you just where you're at. You don't got to get cleaned up to take a bath, right? But when He saves us, He takes and He moves and He starts making us different and growing us. And when He does that, He sends us to tell the story of what He is doing and what He's done and how He can make a difference in everybody's lives. The gospel is about being sent. Because God sent Jesus to come and rescue, redeem, and save us. We get to live the story of God. 
as a sent people. In Babel, they said, we don't want to do that. We don't want to live the story. We don't live our own story. And God calls his people to live his story. You know, his story. It's not your story and God's bit player in it. It is God's story. This is why we talk about communion every week. It's where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. represents his blood that was shed for you and me. Because he is, he is the one that came to rescue and redeem us. God sent Jesus to save us. And now Jesus takes and saves us and makes us a sent people. I mean, God's, God's mission doesn't stop. We're sent. We go. We listen. We, we do. Not and out of a sense of, oh, I've got to make God love me so I'll do more and more, but out of a sense of God has saved me by sending Jesus, and now I am sent as well. And so we become a people who are sent in all things. The band's going to come up. And like I said, if you would like to take communion, it's here. There's been deacon, deacons and elders in the back. And if you don't understand about this being sent and what it means, or maybe you live in fear and you're afraid of being sent and, and speaking the gospel and the truth about what that is, they would love to talk about that. If you have prayer requests about anything, they'd love to talk to you about that. And there's offering boxes in the side wall in the back. And we give because God gave so much to us, giving is simply part of our worship. So you have the opportunity every week. Uh, there's food and stuff in the back, and we invite you to grab something to eat. But again, like I say, the reason we do that every week is so that when you grab something to eat, maybe you can like talk to somebody else who's back there, maybe grab some sermon notes and go to lunch or meet somebody this week or talk with your family through it and go a little bit deeper of what does it mean to be sent. How does it, what does it mean to be a going people? You know, what does it mean to go into, to go into your workplace in a way that not only honors the place where you work, but honors Jesus in the midst of it? Because sometimes those can be tricky about how to do that. But no matter where we are, no matter what we do, it, we are a sent people. Because our God is good enough to come and rescue and save us. It all starts from what he has done. And he rescues and redeems and sends us. It's like it's like it said, you know, that we should be the most welcoming people in the world. Why? Because our God welcomed us. When we were sinners, when we were building our own personal metaphorical towers... Our God welcomed us. Why? Because he is good. And he has sent us on the same mission to welcome others. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to not live in fear. Not huddle away. But live in the grace of who you are. The goodness of the hope that you have provided for us as a people. We ask that you would come in and you would deliver us from the madness of thinking that we are the ones who have to figure this all out. And we are the ones who have to come up with some sort of plan. And we are the ones who have to... When it is you who has called us to the simple grace and truth of your gospel. To live lives trusting that you know the good for us. And part of that good is being sent and trusting you in situations where it seems like you've left us alone because you've never left us alone. Teach us in our, in our deepest places, in our scariest situations, to know that you have never left us. And you're walking through all of these things with us. I ask that you would change our hearts and our minds and our convictions to trust you. To take our eyes off ourselves and our things and our stuff and all of our towers. 
and to place them where they need to be, upon you, where we'd stop lifting up our towers and we'd simply lift up Jesus in all things. Teach us to live as children of a great and a good God who restored, redeemed us, and then in turn sends us and that we would live in the goodness and the grace of that sending. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.